here we are, another episode of What If? What If with me, Lorraine. And me, Rosie. And I am so looking forward to this chat today with Gabby Logan. Mm. She's a trailblazer. She's a trailblazer and she's made it easier, so much easier for lots of women journalists in sport to, to do their job. And I think that's really, really, really important. We've got so much to talk to. Gabby, it's so good to see you. How are you? I'm very well. <laughs> Lovely to see you both too. And you, and you. It's great. I mean, you you grew up in a sporty house though, didn't you? I mean, it was all it was all around you when you were a kid. Yeah, well, my dad was a professional footballer and my mum, I wouldn't say she's not sporty <laughs> in the sense, she, she always tells us she was an ice skater because we can't really prove that, can we? Ah. Um, uh, she did have some boots, but she um, she was very much what the Americans would call the soccer mum because there were four of us kids all doing different sports, all doing it at different times. And she was, you know, that, that proverbial taxi driver driving us all around to different sporting activities while my dad was still playing, still managing. So yeah, sport was very much our thing which you don't know at the time when you're a kid that that's not everybody's thing because that's your that's your reality, isn't it, as a child? Exactly. Mm. And did where did that did the love of sport come from at home then, or did you do it a lot at school? Because did it become at school rather than at home? If that makes sense. Yeah, it was it was both actually because obviously when I think if I'd been born into a musical family or a family that was really interested in I don't know science or you know you you kind of pick up don't you on what your parents interests mm. are and um I think my dad's love of what he did and the fact it was all consuming naturally meant there was a lot of that on the telly or whatever sport was on the telly this is pre-sky days you know mm. so you'd probably have one football match a week then it's difficult to imagine isn't it a time mm, when there was one really football is. match on yeah. um so sport was part of all our lives and then at school obviously we did school sport but we went to schools that weren't particularly brilliant at sport it wasn't you know we went to state schools in the 80s where teachers were on strike and often sport was the first thing that went so my sport really was outside of school when I was doing gymnastics I was going to a club which was a a really lovely local club run by some brilliant as always in grassroots sports and brilliant people who just you know charged us two pounds a session and (laughs) kept turning up and kept enthusing us and kept coaching us and um, and that's where it all started really to kind of grow and become a bit more serious and and then on the telly things like the Olympics would really inspire me because that's where I saw women doing sport and I remember the LA Olympics that was a moment of of real kind of penny dropping moment for me where I just thought wow this is amazing this is I'd love to do this somewhere somehow you know and you did and represented your country represented Wales yeah. uh, you, you really did I mean but that is utterly all-consuming if you are doing gymnastics especially at that sort of level you don't have much time for anything else I would have thought no you spend a lot of your outside school life either doing your homework or doing your gymnastics and there wasn't much time for a lot else and I did have a great group of friends who recognized that I was really into this and then I might only do one in every eight social events you know so (laughs) and so they they didn't kind of exercise me completely from the group you know they they let me they let me kind of dip in and out and then they were really proud of me when things went well and and so my mum always said to me actually you're really lucky your friends they're not jealous they're not Mm. um, resentful of you they're very you know she she didn't say it in those terms but I remember her once saying to me how how rare that was as a teenage girl to kind of you know find your tribe and also the tribe let you operate out I see that with my own kids and I see them with their dynamics of friendships and how how complicated and confusing it is isn't it when you're a teenager Mm. so I was really lucky to to be able to have a bit of a social life but I just you know what I didn't want to do any more than I did I just loved 
gymnastics so much. I didn't feel I was sacrificing. And I think that's the thing that's quite hard for teenagers, isn't it? I mean, I hear myself saying it to my son sometimes and I kind of give myself a, a, the proverbial kind of, you know, slap across the face because I say to him, well, you've got to sacrifice if you want. But actually, no, if you don't want to do, if you don't want to sacrifice, don't do it because yeah. you really have to love it and you have to want to do it. Otherwise, it becomes a bit of a chore and it shouldn't really feel like that, I think, sport. No, mm. absolutely. Of course it shouldn't. And do you ever think about, you know, what if you had kept with gymnastics and kept kept going? It wasn't really an option, Rosie, because I was, I, I got injured in the Commonwealth Games for once. So I had a sciatica and Ooh. so I had a few months out of the sport and it was a point where I was doing my A-levels and this is pre-national lottery. So there was no funding for the sport. It was all, mm. I did get a couple of grants from sports aid and things, but it wasn't ever going to be a sport I would earn a salary from per se. A lot of gymnasts go on actually at that time went on to things like Cirque du Soleil and my own sister went to Cirque du Soleil. So you could use your gymnastics in a different way, but I wasn't ever going to be a professional gymnast. And, and so when I got injured, I was doing my A-levels and I thought, right, maybe it's time to just knuckle down on this now. What I do kind of regret is almost having a sport that I had to finish so soon because, or a sport that was never going to lead to a career. You know, if I'd picked up a set of golf clubs at eight years old instead of <laughs> being obsessed with gym or a tennis racket, well, I did play tennis, but that's another story. There was no indoor tennis courts where we lived in Leeds at the time. So I had to stop playing because in the winter you couldn't play for six months. So, so I do, I do think back to kind of like how my life would be so different now as a child. There are so many options for girls now. You know, you look at the cricket that's been on this summer. It's been amazing. You know, 17 year olds playing on telly, the hundred on the BBC and obviously women's rugby, women's football, team sports are just now women's hockey is so different. And it's, brilliant it's just amazing that girls have got role models that they see on the telly they've got opportunities as well to and pathways and you know the the 80s was a very different place i think for women in sport and girls in sport no it really was mm. it has got better yeah yeah getting better and i think you're you're very much part of that um because you have to see you know that there's a whole generation of young women growing up who saw you on telly and thought oh i can do that i mean you've got to see it haven't you before you think you can be it in a way yeah, and it applies across the board in lots of different areas, doesn't it? And, you know, when I was a kid, textbooks still had only kind of, you know, stories about male scientists and things like that. And I was recently <laughs> judging a um, the National Society Science Book of the Year for Kids. And it's amazing now how they tell science to, to young people with regard to women and you know and so it's, it's opening opportunities in lots of different I've always said about women's football for example I the last women's world cup was in France and it was phenomenally successful 11 million watched the semi-final where England went out to USA and it's not important that girls watch that because they want to be footballers it's important that girls watch that so they see there are opportunities beyond what they perhaps have been culturally brought up to think of as for them you know so my own daughter had not played football but she loved it because she loved women achieving something and doing well at something that in the past has perhaps not seemed like it was for her so it's breaking all those different stereotypes and and having a more um a more balanced view I think you know that's what we have to try and achieve isn't it across the board in in broadcasting no, definitely. I mean, for goodness sake, when I was uh, when I was working in the eighties as a reporter, we didn't really have any female reporters. I was a real yeah. you were the only a, girl, weren't you? I was an oddity because I would go. Well, yeah. I was doing everything for TVAM and sport was part of that, and obviously football <laughs> a big part of that too. And and you would feel like a complete outsider. So it is fantastic that things are getting better. And yet, for you, you went to do law at university. Yeah, yeah. yeah what? I, yeah, I, I was um, 
I wanted to go to university and nobody in my family had done at that point um, on either side. And, and I, I, I did well at school and, I, and it was something that I, I felt like I kind of wanted to pursue. My mum had kind of sacrificed her education in a way when she met my dad because she wanted to go to university down south and she was from Leeds. And she met my dad who was playing for Leeds United and he persuaded her to go to beauty college in Manchester instead because it meant she'd just be a short train ride away. And um, and I felt like I wanted to do that. And then I also thought, well, if I'm going to go to university, I'll do a, a serious sounding degree. I'll do <laughs> something that sounds proper. And um, and so I really enjoyed law. I loved it. But I realised after about a year that I actually wanted to be in bro- I wanted to work in broadcasting. I, I kind of already knew that when I went to university anyway. So I started doing lots of work experience on radio and newspapers while I was doing my degree. So that when I graduated, I I took a job in radio on a breakfast show. And I thought, if this doesn't go well, I'll give it a year, and then I can always go do my law conversion and become a barrister um so it's gone all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah you haven't had to to actually do that to go back to the law but it's always good to have a backup isn't it it's always good to have a plan b yeah i know well so much of the law that i studied obviously has changed dramatically and and uh, i was laughing about kind of you know one of the compulsory courses was european community law oh because uh, you know yeah Um, we're going to be in europe forever and so you have to learn about european law and I was laughing with my daughter the other day saying, oh, my gosh, like, what does what happened to that with those lecturers? Where yes. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's the point, isn't it? And all of that work yeah. that yeah. you did, for goodness sake. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? And then your so your first TV job was after uni then, after the, the, yeah. the training. And how did that come around? Well, when I was working on local radio in Newcastle, um, you know what it's like in, in local news, um, and especially a city like Newcastle, which has got this, it's, Newcastle's quite far away from anywhere. And so you tend to find with cities like that, and I mean big cities, you know, um, you tend to find that there's this, um, the, the, the local TV station is really important and the local radio station is really, really important mm. as well. And so Metro FM, the station that I was on was the, the big commercial station. I was on the breakfast show and they were the, the, the station that covered the football. And they asked me if I would do t- Saturday interviews, uh, touchline interviews at St. James's Park. And they said, look, you're always hanging around the sports team. You clearly love your sport but like you were saying before Lorraine I didn't see women doing that so I didn't even know that was a job you know I just thought it was I just used to hang around after my show and chat to them so I started doing these interviews and loved match days and then Sky spotted me and Sky wanted to do uh, wanted to increase their female quota on air and asked me to go down and do a screen test. And this was, I was only a year into post-university, so I would have been, had a year out, so I would have been about 22, turning 23. Went down to Sky, did a screen test, and got offered an amazing job, and had to relocate. And and again, I thought, well, I'll do that for a year, and then I'll probably get a proper job in telly. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I didn't know where that was going to go, you know? So, um, and those were very early days at Sky. The Sky only got the Premiership, well, Premier League started in 92, didn't it? And this was 96. So the landscape was changing. And I was, I suppose, in the right place at that time because things were opening up and things were things were moving. It's hard, though, isn't it, um, to break down the barriers sometimes? Um, you obviously know your stuff inside out. You know, you, you absolutely do. You do your homework, you're a grafter, you do all of that. But back in the early days, were there some, you know, maybe some professional footballers or some pundits or some people who just kind of thought, nah, not sure about, you know, not sure about this beautiful woman coming in here. <laughs> We don't, yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe maybe even felt a little bit threatened. I don't know. 
Well, yeah. I mean, there was a, I remember a piece in one of the national newspapers written by a very crusty old bloke, basically saying, you know, kind of that people like me were coming along and taking the last strangleholds of maildom and that oh, somehow I was, wow. uh, yeah, and that he was going to have to build a shed in his garden because there was, you know, and it was, this was, you know, this was back in the early 2000s. And, uh, and so, but I just, I don't know, I obviously had some really good allies. I had some very good male allies. And I think that's important as well, because now I'm really conscious of wanting to reach out and when people ask me for help to give them help but there weren't many women there to give help do you know what I mean it wasn't like yes. I could look around this, the sports newsroom at Sky and see loads of women and think oh who's my who's my friend here so I, I had some very good um, colleagues and then there were obviously people who you know weren't quite as kind <laughs> and weren't quite as forthcoming but that happens I think in lots of other professions or was happening in lots of professions anyway if I'd gone into the boardroom of most FTSE 100 companies there wouldn't have been splashed with women all over the place you know if I'd gone into some major law firms there wouldn't be women taking you know the top positions there so so this wasn't unusual in broadcasting I guess and you will know obviously Lorraine as well and you said your, your experiences when you were covering everything mm. you know out there in the field mm. and you were often the only woman and for many years I was doing the England reporters job for the BBC and I was the only woman on those trips and we're going back you know only like a few years ago so it, it is it is definitely changing but in the early days there was a reticence I think maybe I was a novelty I think it certainly helped I came from a footballing family there was a certain amount of okay all right well you might not be you know here just just because you want to marry a footballer because honestly there was that kind of feeling sometimes that I think like mm. people thought I was going husband hunting or something you know <laughs> so um which <laughs> clearly isn't the case uh, <laughs> It's remarkable. I know. Do you ever yeah. think your career would be different if you were a bloke? I know maybe it wouldn't have happened because if you said you mm. were hired because they wanted to boost the females on, mm. yeah. on air, yeah. I don't I mean, know. On the one hand, it was kind of positive discrimination, wasn't it, yeah. that I got to go where I, where I was. Um, it, well, maybe, maybe Rosie, actually, I would have ended up playing professional sport. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe my sporting life would have been different because my brother um, who died, Daniel, was uh, signed for Leeds United. He was a footballer. And, you know, so I may have my life might have been very different if I'd wanted to be in broadcasting as a man at that time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. How, you know, it's really difficult to say, isn't it, where you mm. where you'd have gone? I suppose, like I said, when I arrived at Sky, I didn't know where how was I going to kind of forge a career here? Because where was I going to go? Even then, my boss at Sky, who's no longer uh, with us, he he was very much like, well, you're not going to present football. You know, he was very matter of fact about it. Uh, that's not going to happen here. Luckily, ITV saw things differently. And mm-hmm. um, I got a call in 1998 saying, come over and, you know, we've got shows for you and this is what we'd like to do. And they were really ambitious for me. And that, when I look back now, is pretty amazing, actually. You know, and I kind of think about it, how how forward thinking my boss Brian Barwick was at the time. It's real trailblazing stuff. It really is. Mm. You don't think it when you're in it, I don't think. No. You don't realise no. the implications. You know, and mm. now we've got women commentating on football mm. matches as we saw, uh, mm. you know, during the, the recent Euros. And I think it just takes people a little bit of time to get used to that. And then mm. as soon as you realise... They know their stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm. You know, it really, really doesn't matter. As long as somebody's good and as long as somebody's done their homework, um, then it doesn't matter yeah. at all. Yeah. I mean, you think you are allowed to have an opinion, you know, and critique, you know, it's in the same way that there might be male commentators or male presenters that, you know, you don't have as much of an affinity with. Totally. So sometimes, you know, and, and I don't want to get to a position, and I think a lot of the female footballers have said this, interestingly, that they don't want to be patronised. You know Indeed, what I mean? Like, absolutely. And, yeah. and it's, absolutely. Not just kind of, it's not just kind of bravo, well done for being here, you know, and well done for coming along. <laughs> Actually, well done, if dear. You, yeah. If you want balance, and we do want balance, then that comes both ways. But let's just not be critical of somebody 
just because they're yeah. a woman, you know? You mentioned your brother, and mm. that was a, a, a dreadful, dreadful tragedy because, as you said, you know, there's this fit young man, he's a, he's a fit young teenager with the whole world at his feet. Um, I mean, something like that happens. It's it's beyond a shock, isn't it? It's so mm. difficult for for all of you, you know, for, for the whole family, but for for everybody that, that that knew and loved him. And I guess in a way, you can use your profile, your you you know, the fact you, you can use what you do to help. This is the mm. thing about you saying about giving things back. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's really. And early on in my career, when I realised that was actually one of the joys of what we do that you can use that platform you know for causes and and interest things that you want to give a voice to and lend a help you know pull somebody into the limelight to talk about it it might just be being the figurehead of something or being more proactive and obviously with the the situation Daniel died from he died from cardiomyopathy which is a heart condition congenital heart condition so basically his heart stopped beating but there were no signs that that he was ill or that he had anything wrong with him and it's sudden death and Christian Eriksen of course in the recent Euros collapsed on the pitch oh that was hellish wasn't it that was awful and that is pretty much what happened to Daniel but Daniel didn't do it in a stadium with 60,000 people and medical support he did Mm. it in the back garden and so lost his life and and actually the the sudden death syndrome and testing of the athletes that's still something which needs more awareness and more fibrillators and you know and so actually that that battle's not won yet you know and I've just been talking recently actually to uh, somebody about making a film about that actually about what what is happening with young athletes now how do we screen you know we expect a lot of these people young young footballers are training you know all hours God sends from the age of 10 11 12 and they're going to end up earning their clubs millions and millions of pounds they are huge enormous assets how are we looking after them you know, how are we making sure that they're going through as healthy as possible? And then that trickles down, doesn't it, to other parts of society. And people realise, actually, my golf club needs a fibrillator or, you yes. know, our mm. local guide hut could do with a fibrillator. It's, it's knowing where those things are and being aware of it, I think, is is really important to to be able to use that platform. Oh, it's amazing and an amazing tribute to your to your brother as well that... Because, you know, the, the work that you do and the work that's being done, you certainly see a lot more of those, you know, in, in sports stadiums mm. or, mm. you know, the, or, or gyms and things like that. You, you, you really do. And it's one of those things you can't quantify. But I'm sure by raising awareness, um, lives have been saved. And inevitably, they, they will be. But you're right. It's something that you don't think about until it touches you. You, know, yeah, you, you really that's... don't. Or you see it, you know, you see it in, in, yeah. in the arena like, like we did, um, mm. which was... which was Shocking. Re- oh, mm. awful. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely awful. You've had some... Gosh, there was a... a, a you, know, you know when you have these things about... And this is all about what if, isn't it, Rose? Mm. We're doing mm. a, a sort of what if thing. And, you know, I remember when we went over to do some filming in New York and we'd been up in the Twin Towers and then it was like... I don't know, a week later they came down. And so many people have got those experiences, you know, like, oh, I was there or I just missed that or I didn't get on that train that was blown up or or things happened. But you were at that, um, the Bradford City versus Lincoln City game and that was 1984. Five, I believe, Five, yeah, where there was the yeah. big the big fire broke out. Mm. Now, that was hor- I'll never forget that. I'll never forget mm. that. Fifty six people died there, mm. and you were at that game, but left just in time, about a minute or two before the fire Jeez, started. Because, Gabby. and where we normally sit 
uh, we normally sat was where the fire pretty much two rows away started. But because it was the final game of the season and because Bradford had just won the league, we suddenly had a, a, a you know a rush of people coming for tickets. So my parents had to distribute to family and friends and things. And my dad was assistant manager at the time. And yep. my mum said, look, you guys, me, my brother and sister, he said, you guys are going to sit a few blocks away from me. Um, so me, I was only 12 and my sister and brother, we were kind of like, wow, we're sitting on our own, you know, we're mm. in the stand on our own. And uh, we had our posh clothes on because it was going to be a party that night. And we were, we always went to the players lounge at half time. And my mum is hilarious. I thought a football match was two halves of 40 minutes until I became an adult because she always left a few minutes before half time and always arrived a few minutes late, you know, because she was always wanting to get to the bar. And, and so she shouted down to us, I'm, I'm going to the bar. Do you want to join me now? Or, and so my brothers and sister and I looked at each other and thought we better because it'll be a rush because it's busy, you know. So we walked out a few minutes before half time and went into the players' lounge, which was behind the stand that the fire started. And we'd been in there just a matter of moments when somebody rushed in and opened the door and smoke was already coming. And he said, get out, there's a fire. Nobody moved. Nobody believed this guy. You know, they just they carried on with their drinks. It was mm. a day of celebration. And then the next thing, he was really screaming and the smoke was really starting to billow through. And we were kind of ushered into the street. By the time we got into the street, acrid smoke and tar. And it, it was it, it was an inferno that just took off within minutes. And you could smell burning in the street. And what we realised, my brother had gone missing. He was 10 at the time. And my mum was panicking because she couldn't see him. And um, it took a while for, for somebody to... He'd basically gone to my dad's office because my dad always kept chocolate in his drawer. And the, the office was under the ground. So somebody found him. But... Even that in that chaos at that time, you, you're not computing as a child how close you came. Because what happened, the reason why so many people died was because they locked the gates at the back of the turnstiles, yeah. at the back of the stand. And so people went the way they'd come in. They didn't go towards the pitch. They walked towards the back of the stand. And when they got there, they were trapped in a corridor that became, you know, a, like a tunnel, you know, so mm. the, the fire just ripped through. That's where we would have gone. You know, my sister and brother and I would have gone to the back of the stand. That's where we bought our sports mixtures from and our Seabrooks crisps every week. And I think it really only hit me that kind of as an adult, when you look back and realise how close you were. And as a family, to come through it as we did, all unscathed. My dad got a few cuts from jumping out of a window when he was trying to clear another bar. But that was it. You know, we had grandparents there. We had friends there. And we all got out alive that day. And, uh, you know, and 56 people and their families, you know, have, have suffered ever since. And and so it was a, an enormous tragedy for the whole of football and for the area. And, and the learnings from it are, you talk about repercussions from things. And, you know, there's a thing called... There's a sling, basically, that burns victims uh, keep their arms in, which was invented because of that. There's lots of science kind of and breakthroughs medically because of some of the grafting that went on. And, and so from a science and medical point of view, lots was learned. But from a football point of view, that combined with Hillsborough and Heysel really changed the way that we watched football, you know, in terms of mm. safety in stands and grounds and uh, that duty of care to a football fan going to a game that, you know, shouldn't have been sat on a tinderbox, basically, where a cigarette was discarded and that's what that's happened. That's how it happened. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. It's terrible. Mm. Absolutely terrible. And you mentioned two other massive tragedies there as well. And, you know, we, we do have to... It's, it's like what you were saying about taking care of people. We have to take care mm. of, of fans as mm. well you know we yeah. have to put people well, they're the ones that pay the money isn't it yeah, yeah. of course mm. well that that was seven years before the start of the premier league and obviously um hillsborough was a year later and high was the same year as bradford and 
And you, I think those things and the reports that were kind of emanated from it were part of the reason why football had to have a good look at itself about how, you know, and obviously the Premier League became synonymous with the kind of riches of the Premier League. But actually what the Premier League did was allow clubs to then have better stadiums mm -hmm. and, you know, all those things that kind of came from from that and that the money trickles down mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to the lower league clubs. But we shouldn't have had to go through those things yeah. to get there. You know? No, I mean, I, I remember growing up in, in Glasgow and the, the Ibrox disaster, you know, over mm. 60 people died in that. And, you know, my dad was at that game and, and just mm. the, the sheer terror, you know, it, it's mm. absolutely horrendous. And you do sort of think that, that is a real what if, you know, of all the mm. what ifs, that mm. one is the big one, isn't it, that you went through in your family. And it's mm. just one of those things, if you'd just gone the other way, if your mum mm. hadn't shouted to you or... Mm. I know. Remarkable, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely yeah. remarkable. And we were a few years older even. We probably would have been more independent and yes. said, no, we're not. Yes. You know, we're going to do this. and Or even if we'd split up as a group, you know, like... I, you know, being the eldest, I was the one responsible for getting everybody, you know, mm. here and there. And mm. and how that would shape you then, like, you, you know, you talked about what if you were a man, would your career have been different? How that would have shaped, because a lot of things shape the way you develop in life, don't they? And obviously my brother died seven years after that. And that probably had more of an impact actually on the family. But I think Bradford had almost sown a seed of, I know there was a, my dad probably went through a lot more at that point than he mm. let on because he went to probably about 30 funerals in as many days and oh, he God. was constantly wearing a black tie coming home from a funeral with his eyes red and and I think nobody really reached out and said would you like some counseling can we t you know mm. can we can we talk about this we were three kids who've been in a massive disaster and nobody ever said these kids might need some trauma counseling or you know at some point might need to talk to somebody but that's the way mental health kind of has developed as well, isn't it? When you mm. look back now and think, God, that's ridiculous, isn't mm. it? That whole family went through that and nobody ever sat down and said, let's have a chat. Different times, mm. thank mm. goodness, that we've mm. actually actually got better, don't you think? Yeah. Mm. We'll make things way more cheery now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I wanted to find out about some of your favourite sports performances that you've seen. If there's any, any things you've been to that have been like, that was the best thing I've ever seen. It's it's always the one you've just come from, isn't it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course. And so, I, I, yeah, I, obviously this year everything's been so remote. You know, mm. the Olympics. Obviously, we did from Salford on a green screen. Some people still don't believe that. People still keep coming up to the supermarket telling me they're glad I'm home. Um, <laughs> it did look pretty good. You thought, I have no, you thought they were there. I did. I yeah. said, oh, that's brilliant. They've managed to get to... No. Uh, no. no. <laughs> I know. It's such a shame. But you can't beat those, you know, those stadiums that are full with amazing matches or performances when mm. you're in the middle of all that and the energy. And some that, you know, I love, I do the rugby for the BBC and I do love the Six Nations because you get that tribalism and the singing and the whole kind of, you know, that lovely kind of rivalry between the nations and, and I love those 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 days and those matches and um, and the athletics has given me a load of great joyous moments in the last few doing the, the kind of world championships with Usain Bolt winning and you know mm. those nights uh, are really special because you're watching somebody do something to be the fastest man in the world you know or I, even I did a, the Elliot Kipchoge sub two hour um, run uh, that he did in Vienna I hosted that as well and that was I stood there on the, uh, the platform watching him cross the line thinking this is like a man on the moon stuff you know that somebody's yeah. actually run under two hours it's incredible um and it's about for me it's that kind of humans kind of pushing themselves and into areas that have never been gone before 
And it's not, as I said before, about women in sport. It's not about making everybody on the sofa think they can run a sub two hour marathon. It's about thinking, what could I do that I yes. didn't think I could do? How could I, you know, I, I can believe a bit more in myself and, and push myself. So those joyous moments are so just motivating and inspiring and being there with a crowd and seeing everybody get that joy out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm beating about the bush here, Rosie. I'm not giving you a, a, a definite answer, am I? Because I find it, you know, I genuinely kind of go from one event like that to the next and think, oh, that was amazing. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> but um yeah the um the the not having crowds for 18 months has certainly i think given me a huge amount of appreciation for how much the crowd and the audience yeah. add to those performances mm. oh they really do i mean yeah. we were we were lucky enough to go to the scotland england game yeah. um, and you would have thought that we'd won the world cup well you thought we'd won before they started even playing <laughs> Just, yeah. just happy just to be there. Just, just so happy excited. to be there. And it was like, you know, it was like we, it was like we had one, even yeah. though it was just yeah. a draw. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just such a joy to be out and to be, yeah. you know, because we, we singing, both, singing. Yeah, we yeah. both we both support Dundee United, and obviously we've not been able to to see that. And and even when we have been able to see it, there's not been that much singing, has there? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not recently. Not, not recently. recently. But your team is your team. Yeah. You have to stay with them. You really do. <laughs> but you know, when I was a kid, actually. I went to Wimbledon I was, I was about 18, 19 and for the first time I knew somebody who worked at the BBC and we got some tickets and I saw my hero was Steffi Graf when I was a kid oh, yes. and I watched her play against Gabriela Sabatini I think it was a quarter final match and I remember that it's only a quarter final match it wasn't like but it was one of those moments where you sit and you see these two supreme athletes close up and it made me kind of just see them almost as these ethereal beings. You know, they mm. felt so different to mortals and they were just amazing. And I think you get those moments through your life where you realise, I'm so lucky. That was those moments where I wasn't even working in sport. I thought, oh my God, I'm so lucky to see them up close. Yeah. And then I've tried never to take it for granted, you know, that I do get to, to see these performances and meet these uh, people. And they are just regular folks at the end of the day. They're, they're people who are, you know, just, just normal guys and girls who have a talent and work on it. But obviously they, they do remarkable things. Can we talk about your gorgeous man? I mean, oh, we talked a little yeah. bit about rugby, but isn't he go where did you where did you two meet? I mean, were you were you was it at work thing? Were you commentating on him or what happened? No, I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't presented rugby at that point. And uh, when I met him, I was on my way home from a night out and I decided three weeks before I wasn't having a boyfriend. I was never going out right? with men again. You know, okay. it was like kind of like yeah. I'd I'd been unlucky in love. And then, and uh, so a girlfriend who lived near me, we were in a cab together and she said, Oh, there's this bar. It's, I've been here a few times, it's really nice. Let's pop in for a drink I said it's quarter to two it'll be closed in 15 minutes and she was like come on come on so we get to the door and the bouncer wouldn't let us in he said no 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 so we've got 10 minutes to closing time what are you doing and a friend of mine walked by the bouncer and he said oh I know them let them in so suddenly we got into this bar at 10 to 2 in the morning and the girl I was with was a, um, a producer at Sky and she worked on the rugby and she said oh I know those guys they're from Wasps he said I, I did a piece with them last week and she just marched over to these guys and started chatting to these very tall men and Kenny not as tall and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then the next thing Kenny turned around and started chatting to me and he went, then disappeared to get a drink and apparently went to one of his best mates Simon Shaw and said he was chatting up Gabby Roslin and oh. uh, <laughs> And now, I, now because I've been with him for over 20 years, what I realise is he's very dyslexic. There's certain things he just never gets right. And we've had three dogs. He's never got their sexes right, ever. He calls the girl <laughs> dog a boy, he calls the boy dog a And so we just now, the whole family just know it's Kenny, right? So I don't think he thought I was Gabby Rosling. He just knew my name was Gabby and he couldn't quite right. kind of remember what my son. And so this friend said to him, no, 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 that's not, that's, that's Gabby Gorath. She does the football on ITV. And he was like, oh, right. So we went round to this 24-hour cafe across the road and just sat there till five in the morning chatting. And I remember 
at the time thinking I could listen to him talk, which is just as well because he doesn't shut up. I could <laughs> listen to him talk for a long time because he had such a lovely voice. And it's that Scottish accent. Ah, yeah. And uh, and then that, yeah, we had a very nice slow courtship because he was playing for Scotland and going off for a week with Scotland, then coming back and playing for Wasps for a week. So we were kind of, you know, we'd have a proper date and then he'd go away and then we'd, you know. So it was a nice kind of slow build up, really. Yeah, but I kind of knew. I think did you did on. you know quite yeah. early on? Yeah. I think when you know, you know. Yeah, I, I, I honestly do. But what if you hadn't yeah. gone past the bar? I know, or exactly. got let in. I know, and not gone in. <gasps> yeah, the bouncer had said no. I, I, I do. That was a real sliding doors thing because yeah. I was quite reticent to go on. You know, I, I, said, mm. I said, "Oh come on, we're in a cab now, and let's just go home." And I was really kind of, I was a bit fed up with. You know, I felt like I was in a bit of a, a groundhog day with mm. my social and just going to the mm. same places sure, and doing sure. the same things. And I was a bit kind of meh. And she was Tam's and this friend of mine who now lives in Australia. She was like, "Come on!" They kind of grabbed me out, <laughs> of the cab, you know, <laughs> grabbed me out of the cab and found me a husband. That's so, not too um, bad, is it? <laughs> we all need a wingman like that. That's a, that's a really good one. <laughs> but you know what the funny thing is, though. Rosie, you say that, and then we both say we knew so many people in common. And it would have happened. Lived, well, yeah. he lived half a mile from me as uh, well. It was... Didn't even. Know, but I don't know if it would have done. But I just, you know, mm. now we look back and go, God, we even like we were both patrons of the charity Sparks, and I was like, how have we never met at a Sparks event? You know, we ended up becoming presidents of Sparks later on. But we'd, we'd done various charity events for Sparks, which now is part of Great Ormond Street, and hadn't ever met. So it's it's funny, isn't it? Life, I suppose, in that instance, delivered. Maybe maybe my eyes were open to what I needed at a different time, or what you mm. you know what I mean when mm. you when you kind of Kenny always has his expression. What's uh, what's for you, you won't go by you. Go by you. Yeah. It's very then, Scottish. Very Scottish. <laughs> but then Kenny adds on to it. But sometimes you might have to trip it up. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like what's for you won't go by you. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a, a good one. Is that is that a Scottish one? Is yeah, it? very mm. much yeah. so. Is yeah. it an East Scottish yeah. thing? I don't know. I used to hear it in Edinburgh. Yeah, probably. Although it's spread throughout the country, I think. Just so. Scottish. Yeah, it's kind of like, if you, you know, something horrible's happened or, or something's not quite worked out, mm. then you just say, well, what's for you won't go by you. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll happen. It was meant mm. to happen. When the time is right, it yeah. will happen. Okay. And I think yeah. that's quite good. That's like Betty, it's a bit like that Betty Ford quote, isn't it? Um, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Very good. That's a good one. I really Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So by the end of each episode, we always ask our guests the same question. So we do fail, regret and win. So we'll start with Mm -hmm. a fail. And then we'll... Mm, What do you think is your biggest fail? You don't have to have one, to be honest. No, I've got lots to choose from. (laughs) The thing is, though, about failing, I think I realised I was quite lucky. Sport gave me the realisation quite early on in my life that failing is really important in terms of development and growing. Mm. And... It's not to be, I don't, don't avoid it because you'll never learn as much as you do from a fail, right? So, so I had lots of minor fails, like I failed my driving test for the first time, um, you know, didn't pass it first time. And that was very traumatic. As my mum always used to say to her friends, she's never failed before, which wasn't true. But I was, I literally was crying on my bed. I couldn't believe that somebody had said no to me and that, you know, what? I'm not going to drive home for me. Um, but I think when I look back at my, my, my kind of what I learned so much from that was a big failing. Now, it doesn't look like a failing on the cover. It was when I did Strictly Come Dancing, I went out quite early. And I, I think I, and that's not the failing per se. But what I realised was that I didn't understand what I was. I was there. I was like a sportsman. I'm going to I'm going to dance and kind of and I didn't embrace the whole mm. thing. And I think it taught me a lot about myself and how to kind of just I don't know, it wasn't so much just chill out a bit, but just to kind of like enjoy all the other stuff, you know, and not just be so single minded sometimes and focused on something because there's so much more in life to kind of embrace. And that whole experience taught me a lot 
about me. It taught me a lot about the industry. It taught me a lot about kind of how to get a bit more balance. So, so it was a, a strange learning, I guess, rather than a failing. You know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't, it yeah wasn't, I do. I know exactly. But, See, um, I, I have been asked to do that and I cannot. So I am so... I, you know, I just think you're fantastic for doing that. Because you did it the same year as Kenny, didn't you? The two of you yeah, did you yeah. it at the same time. And Kate Garraway was on that okay. year. Alicia oh, Dixon. Oh, wow. Cook. It was an unbelievable year. And it was brilliant. I loved it. I would never say a word against it. It's amazing. If you get ever... I mean, you've been asked a million times. But if, oh, if anybody scared. is listening and wants to do it, it is amazing. And... You know that that taught me a lot, actually, and I think I, I think I would approach it differently if I was to do something like that again. To have more fun, yes, yes, mm, more fun yeah. is good. Um, and what about a regret? Um, I think again, regrets are kind of you know you at the time you try and it's to do with failings and, and you think, well, I'm not going to regret that. I'm going to try and learn from that. But actually, you know, it is okay to have regrets. I think and to think, oh, I wish I wish I had done something a bit differently and I wish I'd behaved in a different way there and I've been lots of micro regrets in my life in terms of I should have been a bit more tolerant with that person or I should have been you know you know you, know, you have those thoughts in the night and you think oh I shouldn't have been quite so quick to you know make a decision on something but actually my brother dying I was never to know that that would be the last year of his life but I'd taken a gap year and went to live in London if I'd known that was the last year of his life I would have lived at home for a year and I'd have spent mm. that time with him and got to know the teenage him even more because at 14 when I left and he was 15 well 15 when I left I didn't know that that was you know that was mm. all I would ever know of him and so I think that's that's a a, a major regret in many ways mm. and um what about a win <gasps> a win well it's got to be that that Scottish husband hasn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I think I think and family is you know my, my nuclear family you know the, the, the four of us that's my biggest pride and joy that you know that I have a family that I you know I'm so grateful for and and I think try and get balance with and and I honestly you know Kenny is such a great ally and such a massive supporter of me and giving me so much confidence and I think I wouldn't do what I do I couldn't do what I do and our team couldn't work how it works you know without him there so um yeah I think that's oh that's fantastic I love that I love to hear stories like that when it's a an equal partnership with you know with both of you supporting each other it's proper partnership mm. proper mm. partnership Gabby what a joy yeah thank you so much absolutely oh, delightful lovely. to talk to you we could talk to you for ages couldn't we I know just sitting blather so lovely yeah. to chat to you two <laughs> as well